today on 2C Fans. Great example, just on Sunday, uh, my assistant and counterpart Rebecca received a call about a distressed dolphin and uh, when we got pictures and the people got a little closer, we realized it was a palm frond. Wow. So, you know, those are our favorite kind <laughs> of stranding calls. Distressed, with, uh, you with know, animal. palm frond dolphin. Right, so when they turn into something like that, that's, that's great. So welcome to another episode of 2C Fans at Moat Marine Laboratory. I'm Haley Rutger. And I'm Joe Nicholson. And uh, today we are lucky to be here with uh, Gretchen Lovewell, who manages the Stranding Investigations Program at Moat. And we're going to find out what that means, right? Well, yes, Joe. Okay. Yes, we're going to find out. <laughs> no, we're going to sit here the whole time and be in the dark and pretend we're not. <laughs> well, that's happened before. <laughs> no, it, <laughs> so that's great. No, it hasn't. <laughs> and now Gretchen is laughing too much to say her name. But Hi, Gretchen. Yeah. Hello, guys. Great um, to be here. Um, so maybe you should start by just cluing everybody in who doesn't know. Like, what is your program all about? Uh, the Stranding Investigations Program is a program at Moat where we respond 24 hours a day, 365 days a year to calls or reports of injured, sick, distressed, or dead marine mammals and sea turtles in the local waters. It sounds like a quite a big responsibility. It can yeah. be at times. We get we average about 400 calls into our hotline every year. Uh, actually, excuse me, 500 calls. Uh, about. 60 to 80 percent of those happen outside of normal business hours so we we keep a lot of strange hours uh we respond to everything from sea turtles to manatees large whales bottomless dolphins all kinds of different species of uh marine mammals that live offshore so we 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 never know what's going to happen day to day wow that's kind of that's stunning um and like how often are these animals alive i understand that sometimes you find a live animal and sometimes you find a dead animal you have to recover for our cetaceans which are animals that are part of the dolphin whale and porpoise family and for sea turtles it's about 10 percent come in alive uh manatees we get more live calls than dead calls uh most of those are animals exhibiting normal behavior but people think something's wrong so we spend a lot of time verifying normal behavior in manatees, but we don't recover as many dead manatees as we would sea turtles or cetaceans. Hmm. What is it about manatees that people think something's wrong, but it's just them being manatees? <laughs> uh, there's a couple different things they do. Sometimes they spend hours at the surface resting. Manatees mm -hmm. spend about 50% of their time at rest, and some of that time they spend at the surface, and that will alarm people if they're just floating there at the surface motionless when they're typically sleeping. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing that manatees do is they perform these huge mating herds. So we'll get, mm -hmm. we think typically one female being pursued by multiple males, and sometimes when she's exhausted, we feel she seeks shallow water to rest, and the boys are persistent and follow her in. So we'll get lots of calls, especially in the summer months, about that sort of thing. So they'll be anywhere from three to four to, we've had upwards of 25 to 30 animal manatees on the beach before during mating season. Well, how long has the, uh, the stranding investigation program been around? It was formalized in the 80s. So it's been, it's been part of Moat for a very long time. It started, at least the stranding investigations program, primarily did marine mammals initially. Uh, we work really closely with the Sarasota Dolphin Research Program that's also home base is here at Moat Marine Laboratory, but it's a uh, partnership with Chicago Zoological Society. Uh, so we we have a lot of really great partnerships with there, but that was kind of, I think, the 
impetus to start the program here was to sort of partner with the Sarasota Dolphin Research Program so that we could be responding to stranded dolphins. And then in 2003, we picked up the sea turtles. So that was a second um, part of what we did. And then I'm not sure when we started doing manatees, but we work with FWC in the, um, we have a contract with them to work with manatees in the area. Oh, and cool. You know what? I was just thinking that like manatees are probably like your spirit animal, Joe. Why are manatees <laughs> my spirit I'm just kidding with you because, I don't know, it's just like the lounging at the surface part. You're chill, you know? Okay. <laughs> I am a manatee. Do you eat a lot of seagrass? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No. They're, they're, they're very gassy. I don't know what that uh, I don't know that she would even know if I'm gassy or I not. I wouldn't know, but, but uh, and you're not a vegetarian, so I guess that was no. misplaced. And I wasn't thinking about the mating herd part or anything like that. Well, thanks, Haley. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this part's being edited now. <laughs> you know, I hear a lot of podcasts say that, and it's not. No. <laughs> so, but you must get a lot of interesting calls. Yeah. Um, like, but calls that aren't necessarily like you show up and you're like, well, what is this animal? Why are we here? Right. Uh, great example. Just on Sunday, uh, my assistant and counterpart, Rebecca, received a call about a distressed dolphin. And uh, when we got pictures and the people got a little closer, we realized it was a palm frond. Well, so, oh you know, those are our favorite kind <laughs> of stranding calls. Distressed, with, uh, you know, distressed animal. palm frond dolphin. Right. Yes. So when they turn into something like that, that's, that's great. You know, we get some good... Chuckles. Uh, I I've think had... that one's what Terciops. Truncatus. No, what? Ter ter oh, Terciops. Palm. Frondi. Palmatus. <laughs> yes. That might. Not, that almost sounds like something. It could be. Yes, for sure. <laughs> but Terciops truncatus. That's the bottlenose, right? It is the bottlenose dolphin. And that's our main dolphin around here. Yes, that's what we see the most of, uh, as far as our cetacean strandings, our bottlenose dolphins, uh, and then followed closely by dwarf and pygmy sperm whales. <laughs> so you guys get a call. Mm -hmm. And then you just said, okay, so somebody was going to go out and respond to it, but somebody emailed you pictures, I guess? Or the you, the or? person, that, the citizen that reported it, uh, it was about a football field away from her dock, so she kayaked out um, and got close enough to realize it was actually a palm frond. So if okay. she sent us a picture, we confirmed it and moved on. So let's pretend. <laughs> Next I'm, caller. I'm, I'm calling you up, and I'm like, okay, hi, uh, Moat, um, I've got a wounded or, or stranded dolphin here on the beach okay what happens next what happens next we try to get as much information from the caller as we can so if it's a live animal um, the first things we'll try to get an idea of size and species so if we have a single live stranded bottomless dolphin on the beach that's gonna our response would be very different than if say we start asking questions and it sounds like it may be a pilot whale or another offshore species that tends to strand in mass so Typically, our bottlenose dolphins, we're only going to get a single. If it's a pilot whale, I mean, a couple years ago, we had one stranding that was 27 animals. So, you know, it, it can really change the dynamics depending on the species. Okay, so I'm calling about a dolphin I've got on the beach here. Okay. It's, uh, I think it's a... Uh, uh, what color is your dolphin skin? <laughs> well, it's many shades of um, gray leading up to a very bright pink because it's getting sunburnt, I think. Typically, when dolphins get sunburned, they turn black. Oh, well, and then flaky. it's not pink. <laughs> yes. I um, sit corrected. <laughs> uh, their skin turns a really dark black and starts sloughing and things. So well, that's what it's doing. It's, it's turning black and sloughing. <laughs> so the first thing we would 
advise you to do while our team was getting ready would be to try to make that animal as comfortable as possible. So shading You want me to talk to it in a calming voice or no. we give want it a you. smoothie? Uh. You do have a calming voice. Yes. I, you know. uh, one thing that we would immediately try to ask people to do if they were comfortable, again, these are wild animals and they're very powerful even when they're sick. So the first thing we want to make sure is that people are comfortable following our directions and they need to follow our directions explicitly. So the first thing we would ask is if they were comfortable would be to roll the animal on its belly because um, they're just more comfortable that way when they're on their side. Make sure that their eyes and their blowhole are all free of debris and sand and out of the water. We don't want them opening their blowhole under water. blowhole. That's the, the big hole on the top of their head that they breathe out of. So for dolphins and whales, it's essentially their, their nostrils. They've telescoped their skull and their nostrils sit on the top of their head. Um, so we would want people to, if, again, if they were comfortable, sort of right the animal so it was laying on its belly. Often they tend to settle down a little bit if you can face them away from the water. Uh, and the next thing we would do would be ask people, we call it the bucket brigade, and you get people lined up and just keeping the animal wet and comfortable until we can get there and shaded. Um, that's generally what we do unless it's really cold. If it's really cold, we may not necessarily want to keep the animal wet because we don't want it to get too cold um, and become hypothermic. So we want to keep the animal as comfortable and calm as possible, keep people quiet, keep people away because most of the time when animals hit the beach alive, there's something pretty wrong with them and they're really good at masking that. But you can have an animal that you think is going to be okay and it can start going through what we call death throes and when these animals are that as big as even your normal bottlenose dolphin is, they're very powerful and it can be a really dangerous, scary situation if people aren't trained and don't know how to properly restrain and hold these animals. Really? Yeah. Oh. You know, um, oh, what was I going to say? Huh. Um, oh, I know we don't always know like why, why they strand and people often want to know why. We don't always know, but sometimes we do. So in the cases we know, what are some of the most common or frequent things that have been, like, at least related to stranding? For both our marine mammals and sea turtles, about 25 to 30 percent are human interaction. So we've caused mm -hmm. it. It's either been entanglements in fishing gear or other marine debris, ingestion of marine debris, mm -hmm. or boat strikes. Uh, so it, it can vary. Uh, and then for our local dolphins, about another 25% of those we're finding are stranding due to stingray barbs. And it's not really? always the cause of death or cause of stranding, but we're finding the more we look, the more common it really is. Uh, so, you know, if you're out in Sarasota Bay, do the stingray shuffle. If you don't know what it is, look it up. Because <laughs> dolphins can't do that. They don't have, you know, feet. They can't do the stingray shuffle. So we think that they're either swimming in very shallow water or dolphins aren't that sweet, happy, smiley animal no, that you see no, and how they are portrayed. They're, they um, they can be stinkers, was... but yeah, they can be very aggressive yeah. um, and, and they're really powerful. So one of the things if people ever encounter one alive on the beach, we always caution people not to step over the animal. About 30% of a dolphin's weight goes to powering that tail. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, if you've got a 600 pound animal, you've got 200 pounds of muscle that is there to power that tail. So that's not, you don't want to get hit by that. They're, no. they're strong even when they're really debilitated. Um, but yeah, they can be, they can be aggressive. They, uh, our, our Sarasota Bay Dolphins, I will say, are a little more reasonable than some of the ones I used to work with <laughs> on the East Coast of the U.S. I used to work in the Mid-Atlantic. And we actually would recover a lot of dolphin calves and year, one-year-old harbor purposes that are about the same size as dolphin calves that had been bashed to death by other dolphins. Really? Mm -hmm. Broken jaws, broken ribs, 
contusions. Um, we have some skulls in our collection that have very obvious had been rammed by another animal because it's perfect rostrum size. That bottle nose, that beak on a dolphin is the rostrum. And I mean, it's perfectly matched and there was soft tissue damage associated with it that the only thing we could think of that could have caused that was another dolphin. All right, so you guys have come out to the beach mm -hmm. and now you've got this dolphin that I called in about. What are you doing with it? We try to evaluate it initially uh, to see if it's a good candidate for rehab or immediate release. We or do. Or what's the third option? Or sometimes the animals aren't a good candidate for rehab, and we have to euthanize them. We do it under you know direction of a veterinarian. It's all done humanely, um, but we we do sometimes have to humanely euthanize them. And in that case, we try to take it back and figure out what happened. Uh, and we do a necropsy, which is essentially an animal autopsy, and we take the animal apart systematically and look at every single system from their skin and blubber to their muscles and everything, you know, so down to the bones. Cause we even, after we're done with the necropsy, we actually take all of our soft tissue samples and then we keep those skeletons in perpetuity in the Rugdalen Cetacean Osteological Collection. So nothing goes really to waste. It's no. still learning and, and a reference. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, what strikes me is hearing this um, is that a, a lot of people, when they think about working with animals, they think it's like the best job in the world. And, you know, I want to do that. I love animals. But then I hear this and I think it's not for everyone. I mean, there are some things that are hard physically, probably emotionally. I mean, what do you think about the, the positives and then the tough aspects of the job? Um, it, it's definitely not a job for anyone uh, in the sense that... 90% of what we respond to are dead animals. Mm. And they, it, that can be sad just from a, you know, an animal welfare perspective that just seeing a dead animal makes some people sad. For us, while we are sad that animals pass, we take every opportunity to learn from it. They can also be really smelly. Mm -hmm. I mean, they stink, especially mm -hmm. in Florida. They're, they're <laughs> yeah. pressure cookers. These animals are designed to be retain heat to be able to thermoregulate and keep their body temperature a certain way. So they essentially become little pressure cookers and they go, they go bad quick in Florida. I mean, I can pick up an animal that looks fresh and by the time we've driven it an hour in the truck, it's starting to turn green and bloat. So the smell is probably the biggest complaint I hear from people. Uh, <laughs> I've been in one of those uh, necropsies. I've had the, the distinct pleasure of getting to see you guys at work and it's fascinating, but I come out and my hair smells like, mm -hmm. like dolphin. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't yeah. think there's anything that smells worse than dead dolphin. Dead manatee. Dead Really? Okay. <laughs> and you'll have the manatee peoples will say it's turtle. The turtle peoples will say it's dolphin. I've worked with all three species. I'm going to say it's dead manatee. Dead manatee is the worst smelling. To okay. me. All I'm right. not Personally. sure I can handle that one. Dolphin's right. enough for me. Go ahead. Haley's <laughs> mad. She doesn't want any on the script. mad now. Um, this is Haley mad. This is Haley no. mad. Look at her. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, okay. Gretch. Yes. So, you have now been on the beach, and you've assessed this animal, and what happens next? If it is a good candidate for rehab, and honestly, for most live animals, unless it's a clear cut, this animal is a definite euthanasia case, we always try to bring them back here to get the good assessment to be able to draw blood and do all that thing. If it's a good candidate for rehab, then we work really closely with our animal hospitals and they will either go in our dolphin and whale hospital or our sea turtle uh, rehab center. So it, a lot of it depends on the animal's presentation and if we think we can do it and we have the means to do it. Uh, you know, there's no direct funding to do this kind of work. So we're always looking, you know, 
for grants and, and philanthropy and donations and things to be able to keep our programs running. You know something like you say there's no direct funding and it always kind of amazes me because I've never met a person who you tell them about this job and they're not like that is so important and that really matters and that's great. And yet it's so hard because we're a nonprofit. Like, how does it get so hard to get well, funding? Well, and especially since they're essentially like the EMTs of the sea, you know. <laughs> they are. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, and hopefully we actually have a grant in right now to hopefully have an ambulance. So right now we're moving animals in the back of an open bed pickup. We have specialized foam that we put in there to keep our animals and our animal handlers as comfortable and safe as possible. But, I mean, we're still driving down the road with sometimes a 600-pound dolphin in the back and people, and it's not, you know, hmm. so we're hoping. We're hoping yes, we're going to have an ambulance this time next and year. And if you but had a sponsor, could the sponsor have their name on the side oh, of the absolutely. ambulance? absolutely. Oh, okay. Absolutely. Right. So, I mean, there's the stranding folks, whether they're the hospital rehab people or the boots on the ground, first responders, we're pretty good at making do with, not a whole lot because we've had to for so long. It's amazing because the help is needed because there's there's our program and there's programs like this around the country. Mm -hmm. I mean, we should say like everything you guys do is under this network um, that's led by the federal government by mm -hmm. NOAA, and um, you guys have to support each other. And so the more you donate to a program in one area, the more you're helping the network too. It's Absolutely. Like, yeah. So. And, and you guys cover all of um, Sarasota and Manatee counties, so you have a big job just as that part of that network, and sometimes you reach outside of that. Right. Um, because of the experience I had kind of cutting my teeth in North Carolina, I have a lot of large whale experience. So we, we are sort of the large whale team on the Gulf Coast of Florida. Like, I have a big trailer full of equipment that I got through a grant. So we're sort of a mobile a mobile lab if something happens, if there's a mass stranding or a large whale, like Rebecca and I load up and we're on the road and we may be gone for a week. Mm -hmm. uh, like I said, in 2014, we had all the pilot whales down south. I mean, even my daughter was like, I don't like pilot whales anymore because <laughs> we were gone so much, you know? Yeah. it's So, you know, to, to be able to do the show, that's something you definitely have to be able to be adaptable and, yeah. you know, know that your plans will change at a moment's notice. I totally forgot that you guys were involved with the releases as well. So yes. once these animals are, you know, healed or made better, mm -hmm. you guys Medical get the free. satisfaction of taking them back to yeah. the sea to, to, to go and be free. Right. It, that, that part's great, and it's a really cool partnership that we have with our hospital staff and program. I mean, we, we're the ones with the trucks, and, you know, while we're only generally a small team of two staff, paid staff, and the rest are, you know, interns and volunteers. Like, we're pretty strong and we're a great team. Like, we all work really well together as a team in our hospital and straining wing, which is awesome. That's important with a small, underfunded group. It is, it is, because yes. it, it, if it didn't work that way, it wouldn't be nearly as much fun to come to work every day. Yeah, and it just wouldn't work at all. Well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> and well, you know, but, yeah. And, you know, I was going to say, some of those animals that get released get tracked for follow-up by mm -hmm. the, our, our partners at the Sarasota Dolphin Research Program, and sometimes you see those and stories. And the sea turtles. Yeah, mm -hmm. and the sea turtles by our, our sea turtle program, and sometimes you have a story later where you find out that they've had you know, a dolphin had her first calf, like Ginger the dolphin had one, um, and you know, you just find out that they're doing okay, and so you know that it's they're out there because of you. What you did made a difference. Well, and it, it goes to the important importance of partnerships, too, mm -hmm. and cooperation, because you know, we, we aren't on the water 10 days a month to be able to track our local, local dolphins, but 
Sarasota Dolphin Research Program is. And we aren't on the beach to tag turtles while they're nesting, but our, our sea turtle conservation research program is. So that way, if those animals strand, we can scan them and we know, like, hey, this was a nester from, you know, Minnesota Key. So, I mean, we... You can't do this job in a bubble. No, or and you it wouldn't be sleep. nearly as much fun. Yeah. One, you you wouldn't learn as much either. Yeah. So. yeah, that's true. And if there was one thing you could tell everybody, as a like a word of advice, don't push animals back, dead or alive. Call us, please, first. If they're on the beach alive, more than likely they're there for a reason. We don't want to put that animal through any undue suffering and we don't want to if that animal has something that could spread to the whole other population we want to be able to help mitigate that by responding to the animal and if they're dead while they may be unsightly we lose that opportunity to learn from them so either way don't and if an animal washes in with gear on it um, fishing gear or other marine debris don't cut it off because that a it helps us learn how animals are entangled and b sometimes the entanglement may be keeping that animal from bleeding out. It may be, you know, if you remove that gear, you may expose a, a vessel and then you end up with a whole different set of problems. So yes. it's like, if you found it, if you found an injured person, you wouldn't try to fix it. <laughs> you exactly. Would, you would call the EMT. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. also it's illegal for anybody to yes. touch or, or even That's, you know, push yes. an animal back into the water. Correct? It is. It is. It's illegal to handle them unless you have the proper authority. Uh, it can be dangerous. Um, so, uh, you know, for your safety and the animal safety, it's best to just call us. And we would rather have someone call and have it be nothing than not call and be worried that we may laugh or whatever. Because we're never going to laugh if you call and you're concerned. We're going to do everything we can to help you, even if it's not an animal we respond to. Like, like a, we, yeah, like a land turtle. We get those calls all the time. Yeah. We get calls on land turtles and birds and otters. And we try really hard to at least get that person to the right folks because... Mm -hmm. We all care about animals or we wouldn't do what we did. Even if it's not an animal that's under my permit, I'm going to do what I can to try to help that person get that animal help. So uh, you want to give everybody that number to yes. call? Absolutely. And I will preface it by saying it's somewhat old school. It's still a pager system. But the number is 941-988-0212. And you must say your phone number on the recorded message because it will not show up in order for us to call you back. And we're really, we, we pride ourselves in our response time. We generally get back to people in less than five minutes. Our last year average was less than three, so pretty wow. proud of that. I'm impressed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, when you're when you're fielding 500 calls a year and you can keep an average less than I mean, I, I, every once in a while one will slip through the cracks, but for the most part, it's I'm pretty proud of that. That's worth being proud of, and that's for everybody in us. Every every animal we find in Sarasota and Manatee counties, and if you're outside of that range, um, who else can they call? If you're in Florida and you're outside of our area, FWC is the best number to call, and that is 888-404-3922. Um, and the best way to remember that is 888-404-FWCC. Yeah, and that's our state wildlife agency, the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. Yes. Okay. Very good, Hales. Oh, you don't you don't know how many times I've written that in press releases. <laughs> <laughs> well, gee, um, thank you very very much, Gretchen, for uh, joining us. Yeah, that was that was great and educational and lots of good ideas. So, yeah. well, thank you guys. And you, everybody can learn more by going to www.moat.org mm -hmm. or org, as some of us would like to say, um, uh -huh. to 
look up more about the Stranding Investigations program. Yeah, they're under our research programs on the site. You can also see our uh, animal hospitals that receive the animals from this program if you want to check on a certain animal that came in. Um, and just read more, and uh, as we always say, you can um, support... Click on the donate button. Yeah, like Joe interrupted me to say. Because I interrupt her all the time. I know, especially when I'm trying to neatly close out the podcast. Well, sorry, Hales. Once again... Go to moat.org forward slash support before Joe interrupts you and click the donate button. Because I may get you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah, and write in, write in the name of the Stranding Investigations Program if you want to help these guys. There's a little, like, comment box. Um, so I think that's it for us, and thanks a lot, Gretchen. Thank you, guys. Yeah, so stay tuned uh, in a couple weeks for another episode of 2C Fans at Moat.